0: finally done it, opened your bar, launched your spirit, won your first cocktail competition. So now what do you do? Time to call today's guests. I'm Susan Schwartz, your drinking companion, and this is Lush Life Podcast. Every week we are inspired to live life one cocktail at a time. Since the moment I met them, Alex Chatwin and Alex Irving, co-founders of LXPR, have been Lush Life's number one fans, and it is such a privilege to have them on the program with me. These women have grown their company to be one of the most respected drinks PRs, not only in London, but all over the world. Today, they share the story of how they became LX, as well as give some great tips for anyone starting a new brand. So if you have a new bar or spirit, this episode is for you. As they're both named Alex, you can always see Who is Who on YouTube, where you can find a video of this episode, plus all the other Lush Life episodes, as well as a whole lot more. Just head to youtube.com slash at Lush Life Manual. That's youtube.com slash at Lush Life Manual. Now on to Alex and Alex. Well, I'm so excited to have you guys on. It I've known you... F- what feels like forever. And it's crazy that it's taken us this long to get you behind a microphone and to hear your stories.
1: I know, I know. We're, we're so excited to be here. Thank here we are. You. Thank Thanks you for coming
0: <laughs> <having> in. <me. laughs> sure. Now, for the listeners, it's going to be hard for you guys because they're both called Alex. So we're going to do Alex C and Alex I, all right? I always start with, you know, where you guys are from and how you got into this. So who wants to go first?
2: which one you go go first because i'm the oldest yeah i'm gonna go for the longest
0: (laughs) 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 all right that was alex irving
2: is starting (laughs) um it's where i'm from i was born in london and grew up in based in london and devon and actually essex my parents moved a bit when i was younger i think i'd always wanted to do pr when i was i remember when i was at uni i was always kind of like leaning towards kind of communications sort of side of things so when I finished I did a master's in communications and did loads of work experience and you know being a 22 year old like really into my sort of like fashion thought I wanted to do fashion PR and started doing it and actually realized it wasn't quite right for me and I got a job working and doing the PR for the market and really enjoyed the food and drink side of thing went off to go and do more PR in another food and drink specialist agency and then went to an agency that specialized in more I think from there, I realized I really enjoyed like sort of the restaurant drinks world more, went to another agency and started doing that a bit more. And yeah, where I then met Alex. So we met at a large lifestyle agency that sort of specialized in a huge array of things. Yeah. It's an awesome agency. And um, we uh, worked on the drinks team um, together. Worked across lots of different things, but specifically on the drinks team. And um, then I left in 2016 to go traveling. Came back and Alex and I were freelancing together. But yeah. didn't want to like ruin your story. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. That was my side of how I ended up like well, then starting to, to work to with Alex. Wait, uh, wait, wait,
0: wait, wait, Alex, hold on. Alex C, wait a sec. I have a question for Alex I. Um, so what was it, about, and I will ask you the same question probably, but um, what was it about PR that you thought, you know, was, or or should I say, you know, why did you think that PR would be for you? You know, what was it about that that industry that you thought would be make a great future job? Do, do you know what? I don't
2: know what it was. I think I, I was always really... I enjoyed writing. And um, I think I was kind of leaning towards journalism or communications of sorts. And I think I enjoyed... I, I did have an interest in the kind of the idea or the concept of kind of telling a story or communicating, but I don't think I was probably a good enough writer to actually then want to go into something like journalism. And I think the idea of kind of the communication side and kind of presenting a story or a brand always, always appealed to me. But to be honest, when I was younger and I first started out before I did my master's, I, I think I liked the idea of it, but I didn't really know what it was. And so that's why I did a master's because I was a bit like I, I don't know like what is trade media like what's the difference and so yeah so that's why I decided to do a master's in it and just learn a bit more and have another year of doing experience and so yeah that, I think that's what appealed to me and so it was yeah. I think the idea mm-hmm. of PR itself is the kind of the idea of taking something and and like telling the story of a brand and you know looking at how how you can uh, the communication yeah. element you know it just kind just of making
1: sense. how you tease out the different messages and I think as well because i similarly had had an interest in journalism like when I was studying I wasn't sure what I wanted to go into and I think then having work experience I think right being a writer can almost be quite you're quite independent or kind of like working by yourself whereas PR does involve being part of a team Mm. more probably as well which I think is
2: kind of has an appeal um so yeah I'd say that's, yeah, I think so, that's really what it was. I think yeah. it's telling the story and that, okay. yeah, and the way I then kind of like went from working on quite a wider range of things to then really turning down into yeah. drinks. It was probably more my personal interest. <laughs> uh-huh. but, now, Alexi, yeah. where are you from?
1: So I grew up near Cambridge and then I went to university in London. I studied English Lit. So I kind of knew I wanted to go into some kind of comms, Role. I just wasn't sure exactly kind of what that looked like. I think a lot of people when they graduate probably feel a bit like that. Mm. I had, you know, obviously had like part-time jobs and stuff as a student, and did always kind of really enjoy working in hospitality. But it wasn't until I got a my first inter internship in PR. It was kind of a small startup agency, and we worked across a range of lifestyle clients, so from fashion through to food and drink. And and it was there that I realised. I enjoyed working on the food and drink side a lot more than the fashion necessarily. I think, yeah, like Alex was saying, you know, there's really interesting stories to tell. And I think whenever you're working with a brand or a bar, you can really get into, you know, there's a history or a heritage or an inspiration that's kind of there for you to talk about. And that was when I worked on my first spirit brand client, which was a vodka. So I was quickly inducted into the world of drinking vodka martinis. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, my first drinks brand was a vodka. Yeah. Yeah, it's same. I just, yeah, it was like suddenly like learning how to drink vodka martinis.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, then I moved to the agency where Alex was working and that was where we met. And yeah, as Alex said, we worked across like a wide range of things, but primarily on the drinks team and both had a real passion for that. Alex moved abroad and then shortly after I went freelance. So I was freelancing in London and kind of focusing on drinks clients. But we were working together on bits from afar whilst Alex was abroad. And then when Alex moved back to the UK, that's kind of when we started doing more and more together and it kind of went from there.
0: Now, had you worked together when you were in the agency on the alcoholic brands
2: we had i hired yeah. you yep you did
1: <laughs> <laughs> good yep. hire
0: good hire i, Sorry, know, I
1: know i remember being asked in my interview what i would order in a cocktail bar like what i'd order to drink and i was like "That's my, my interview I, questions I, I think i i think i want <laughs> to work with so. us
0: <laughs>
2: now now asking that question could be dangerous did you want a specific answer no, do you know what it is? It's, I quite often ask people that when we interview someone and it's not actually to, it's like, there's literally no wrong or right answer. Like, uh, you think you said gin and tonic, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I like, said gin and tonic. It's, but I think it's just more, you can tell by their answer if they're enthused by uh-huh. drinks and the drinks industry, I think. And then that's where you can see if they're going to sort of, be, if the, like at the time it was like, whether they'd be right on the drinks team or if they'd be, be better on the restaurant team, for example. So it's like, there is literally no right or wrong answer like, but it was more, and it quite often if someone asks me, I'd be like, "Oh, I don't know, people need, <laughs> but, yeah." Um, uh-huh. But it, no, it, like, yeah, it was. You can kind of get the idea of someone's interest in drinks by how they respond, and so that's generally why I ask it. But yeah. I guess I think,
1: think we still ask that question now, yeah. People, but yeah, um, it's also just nice to know. Just well, it's interesting. interesting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I guess you know you can tell someone if they say a Negroni versus like a Midori sour or yeah. a grasshopper
2: or. I think I always say there's quite often a story. So like, there's always an interesting story behind it. So, like, if someone was like, oh, my favorite drink is, I don't know, pina colada, like when I'm on the beach in the Caribbean, I'll be like, yeah, good for you. So would I? Like, it's like, do you know, yeah. it's like, like yeah, it's no. pretty, there's usually like might be a story behind something. So, it's, yes. Yeah, it's and I minute. think, you
1: know, a lot of people, like, you don't necessarily need to have like a really extensive understanding of the industry to, mm-hmm start in PR in this sector so we would never never judge kind of on someone's response but it's just it's also good in terms of like yeah a conversation and it gets a story going as well so yeah absolutely now
0: when you came back from traveling alex i were you looking to get right back into drinks pr
2: yeah i cuz i've been doing a little bit whilst I'd been abroad and um freelancing and so yeah when i came back i went, like alex and i well, is freelancing, so it kind of felt natural. We were just started doing, immediately just started doing more together and freelancing. And then I was like, please help me. (laughs) (laughs) So it was pretty organic, you know, you
0: came back
2: and... Because when I was away, because we'd always been quite close, hadn't we? Yeah. When we worked together at our old agency, like we were super close and we got on really well, just worked together really well. And so I think when you then left and we're doing things, sometimes I'd help Al or whatever it might be. And then, So it kind of just felt natural that when I was then coming, starting to plan on coming back, we then started to just do more together. But it got to the point where we then had a few clients and then people were like, could you guys, could you get a name? Because like people keep asking us who does our PR and we're like, is this two girls called Alex? And then, and so that's kind of then how it, how it came to be. We're like, oh yeah, that might be a good idea. we were like, yeah, we should get a name. (laughs)
1: And then we went around around the houses and landed on Alex. We basically got rid of the vowels from yeah. Alex. Right. So there we
2: go. But we have Tim Stones to thank for that. Tim's, yeah. So you know Tim Jones in Sydney is um, uh-huh. um He used to be the brand ambassador for Beefy Eater and I worked with him for years. And when I saw him, I was talking to him that we were trying to think of a name, and he was like, "What about Alex?" And I was like, "Bad. I will put it on the list." And then that's how we Alex <laughs> well, came to be. Do you did you choose any other names that
0: you laugh at now and you're like oh thank God we didn't call ourselves like artichoke or something you know? Do, do
1: you yeah. think what? I
2: don't know if we didn't. No, I, I
1: think whatever we tried to land on just didn't seem
2: right. I can't remember any standout ones now. I but. don't think we had. I think also the problem is, like obviously, if you were going to do anything with A and A, like then there's the. Like it, it's it, it just there. doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> we were like, that's not going to work. So, but it's funny because I found an old notebook the other day and it's got A and A branding. So, it's obviously when we didn't have a name oh, and we were trying A&A. to think. And it's got, but yeah, we didn't. There was, I don't know if there really was a good front runner. I think In we way. went through, yeah,
1: maybe should have gone with the A team, but <laughs> yeah, that oh, was already taken. So,
0: <laughs> and that's destined to like what happened to it, right? The show was canceled. So, you don't want to exactly. <laughs> Now, when you got, first got together and you started getting all these clients, was there ever a time when you thought, oh, wait, we should launch out into something else? Or was it just like one drinks brand after the other kind of kept you going and until you just grew and grew, grew?
1: I grew? I think at the outset, we decided that we wanted to have a specialist focus. And I think with PR, having that specialism works quite well in that. obviously you know you build strong relationships with journalists that cover that area so it kind of lends itself to that naturally Mm. and I think we felt like that was sort of where our specialism and our knowledge lied and that was where we felt we could probably with clients as well deliver like the best work so and I think because the opportunities have presented themselves in the way they have I don't think we
2: felt that need to kind of yeah, I think, yeah, we just wanted to, I think it's that we, we did sit down right at the, like at the outset when we were like, let's do, let's do this. And we were just, um we kind of said like, what, what do we want to do? Who do we want to work with? What do we want to be? And we were quite sort of clear on that. And, and also when it came down to like new business and having, we kind of gave ourselves like a little criteria of when we would look to take business on. So there's like a few points. So, you know, what's the story, like what, and kind of building that into a sort of a factor of using that as a checklist always like when we were taking clients so we would be quite because I think that was the I suppose maybe luxury is the word but like the kind of the to to work for ourselves and to be able to say actually we want to work on this project or this might not be suitable for us and kind of be quite specific about what we what we wanted to be and what we wanted to do yeah
0: and at the outset were you thinking because you handle so many different things in the industry. You handle brands and bars and people and, I guess, I want to say collectives, things like, you know, the world's best, 50 best bars and things like that. When you started out, were you thinking just, we're just going to do spirits? Yeah. And then all of a sudden a bar came and said, hey, could you handle us? And then a person came and then all of that, you know, how did it, it you know, start off and, and uh, continue you know, from what what you um, started off with?
1: I think at the beginning we knew we'd probably have clients that ranged across kind of like bars, bartenders and brands and drinks brands. And we say like the drinks brands that bartenders would use or kind of be excited by because of the story they have. Um, And I think because they obviously go, they work quite well together. They go hand in hand. You kind of having an understanding of the bar world, you know what they want to get out of brands and vice versa, so I think that works quite well. I think when we set up though we we probably didn't have like we didn't have an idea of like we're gonna grow x amount in x amount of time we definitely didn't we, we, remember we did down. not have that <laughs> at all. I think we were just kind of like Let's see see how this goes, and then yeah over time, as it's grown, you know it but. Yeah, I think at the outset, you know, we had a clear vision of the types of clients we'd like to work with, but I think we were very much kind of seeing what happened, putting ourselves out there, and then yeah, it's kind of grown from there, from that. So, um, yeah, yeah. I say that absolutely.
2: Yeah,
0: and and was it was it first off liquor brands?
2: Our first client was Italicus. Yeah, um, and oh, that's a biggie. Yeah, because I think it was just How exciting. Long-
1: yeah. So sort of, they were
2: about a year into launch as well. And like obviously we'd just had people so long. So um yeah, we worked with Italicus and Porter's Gin. They were first I think two of our first yeah. clients, weren't they? And um, then Cask as well. Um so Cask marketing. So we did some projects for their clients. So
1: they worked with like Ocho and Kiki Riki Mezcal. Um they have like a really
2: amazing portfolio of brands. Um yeah. but then we also were doing some project like kind of an ongoing work of just working with Ryan by that point yeah we? we'd launched Cubs. so
1: we worked on Cub and Lion in Hoxton and I think like we started working with Swift
2: that was probably a bit maybe a bit yeah that was in. a few months in. but we've always worked with Alex and Monica um, yeah so, like, so we do, had We'd to like. I think I'd always kind of been doing sort of stuff with them on this, you know, freelancing for them. So that kind of then actually came. So I think it was probably, it was mainly, obviously it was predominantly the brands and then like the lion team. And then it kind of grew from there. I yeah. think.
0: Right. Cause I, when I met you in Edinburgh a billion years ago, it was for Porter's. I think that was the first event it was a Porter's thing in Edinburgh. Yeah. And that was, you know, four, four
2: and a half years ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Which it was just amazing. Coming up for five years, I think, wasn't it? it was Twenty eighteen. So yeah, it was probably actually predominantly the brands actually that we had first. Silent Pool Gin, we got brought on quite quickly actually with them, and and did a big campaign for them for Chelsea Flower Show. So that was, I think, quite a big project that we took on quite early. Yeah, um, yeah. So kind of kind of grew creation. there. And um, I think it would be interesting,
0: at least for me to hear and and everyone to hear your process if you don't mind sharing it. You know, when someone comes to you either, uh, you know, brand, a bar, obviously everything is different and other needs are different, but maybe just uh, maybe one or two examples of a brand that that came to you that was going to be new in the UK or just starting, and we'll start with brand first as opposed to maybe bar and a person. How do you hold their hand and take them through the
1: the process? It's great to be... To work from a brand with a brand from the beginning. Uh, so Everleaf we've worked with, so we that was one of our first clients as well. Mm. Probably a little bit further in, but you know, when that started, that was just us as an ex, and it was Paul Matthew, the founder as of Everleaf. And obviously, since over time, as we've grown, Everleaf has grown. So it's been really nice to be on that journey with them. I think with brands, it's you know, making sure that they have that story in place as to, you know, who they are and why they're doing it. I think as well having a clear... Clear messaging. Clear messaging and an idea of who that consumer is that they're going after. We can obviously help kind of with that, but usually brands will come to us sort of with an initial idea at least of kind of where that's going. I think one of the things as well, we try and do with brands when we work with them if we're launching them is making sure that they're not starting with PR too soon. I think quite often obviously it's super exciting to be launching a brand and there's probably you know a long time that's gone into getting to that point but I think it's important to wait until there's certain things in place like a certain level of distribution or availability for consumers and the on-trade. Because there's sort of no point, you sort of only get one chance to launch. And if you launch, but then people read about you, but they're not able to get hold of you. You kind of lose That's that momentum. Yeah. Probably kind of some of the key things we'll look at, you know, when we start a conversation with a
2: brand. And and how about a bar? Again, it's it's actually quite similar. I think whoever you're working with, whether it's a bar or a brand or a person for that matter, I think having an idea of what the, what should say? bar or product but having an idea of what your brand is because I think that's sometimes what can be forgotten about when it's a venue is people just think it's you know it's it's a bar and it's serving drinks but it's like but what like what's your USP what do you stand for and it doesn't need to be that your USP is that you're serving I don't know like completely wild drinks that are presented really with really. it could just be that your drink presentation is really simple and the aesthetic is very simple and it's relaxed kind of a, a, uh, aesthetic so I think it's whatever your bar is is a kind of standing for it's it's kind of identifying what that what the brand is basically yeah. and then kind of pulling through from that so and again as I'll so it's having an idea of who your target audience is and then what your messaging and all of that kind of that jazz so I think that's it, it's very similar but then on top of that I suppose with the bar there's just a few other things that we would kind of like pull in. there's a bit of marketing that needs to go in if it's launching and
1: I think with a bar you also you'd think a bit more about where it is yeah like physically location. obviously has more whereas yeah with a brand that's not as
2: it's, you know, it's a different kind of thing, but I think, yeah. And I think it's also, but I'd say like when you start working with someone as well, I think it's the important thing is, is being realistic. And so it's, for example, so a bar comes to us and they might not have um, huge amounts of budget. For example, they're just about to launch. Obviously they're spending a huge fortune on setting up the bar in the current climate that costs enough, but then I think it's being realistic. So yes, they might want a really nice, shiny piece in um, a big broadsheet publication when they're launching but actually if they're a bar in shoreditch or in east london like the, t- the target audience might not be reading that paper. so it's kind of like it's being realistic about who your audience is and what they're reading and if you've got limited resources kind of making sure that we're that we're using the publications that's going to help drive football. it's all very well having the nice shiny piece but if that being read by someone that's probably not going to ever frequent your bar then there's not much point and it's a waste of everyone like so it's you know obviously it's as nice as that, that piece would be so I think it's just being like realistic with timings and expectations and what yeah. what would kind of like come from and who we're talking to again which comes down to it.
0: Of course of course now saying that you represent a lot of bars of a lot of international bars internationally renowned bars should I say that come to you from all over the world and we're not just talking Europe but uh, Chile, Ecuador. And so
1: what kind of, what do they expect from you? So it's slightly different. Obviously the bars we work with in London, it's very much a big part of what we do is kind of that on the ground press with the local market in terms of like driving your local consumer in. With international bars, it tends to be more of a focus on kind of that international trade press Which we do do for the London London bars as well, but with the international bars, it's a bit more of that kind of, it's it's raising their profile amongst the international trade media. So, you know, if it's a bar that's doing something really interesting, but they're not in a place where a lot of those international trade journalists are based, they might not have had the same opportunities to engage with them
2: or host them. Or traveling through. So for example, obviously, you know, bars and cities where they hold big, trade events or 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 have close proximity to trade events where people might be frequenting and visiting and therefore might get to kind of experience or be aware of what's in those markets but I suppose yeah so bars that just don't have that kind of international presence so I think we and you know you have to be realistic and we can't work with everyone and not every bar is going to be able and I think that's when you say like how we look at working with who we work with when we're working with bars and whatnot I think you can't do that for everybody but I think it's looking at kind of um again that's where it comes back to us looking at and evaluating like what's the story what are they communicating what are they doing that's going to be interesting and why would you know and, and how's that um going to yeah. present itself to the journalist and the journalist's going to be interested in what what they're being told so and kind of looking at making sure that there's a yeah strong USP for that
1: and I think also making sure that you know the expectations that they have of PR is mm-hmm. something that we know and we'll we be deliver. able to achieve yeah. and deliver for them as well so
2: and then we do like a little bit of consumer media but it will be kind yeah. of um so things like so our bars in Paris for example like we do a lot of um travel press as well so you know the kind of Condé Nast Traveler roundups is the best places to go in Paris or whatever it might be or Metropolitan now that now they're on board and in-flight magazines are coming back having those kind of pieces and sort of and making sure they're being included in in that side of things, but obviously, yeah, there's a big focus yeah. on them having a a kind of more consistent share of voice in in the international drinks trade press, yeah, mm-hmm. or in drinks blogs.
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think as well there are kind of consumer titles which have a bit more of an international focus in terms of what they talk about, and they might be interested in certain trends or certain areas as are suddenly kind of a bit of a culinary hotspot. So. It's a bit more of a targeted approach in that Mm. sense.
0: Now, saying that about expectations, now, you've been doing this a while. You're at the top of your field, really. And um, what have I know this is a big question. Have you seen, should I say, not what have, but have you seen a change since when you began to today? Obviously, we've gone through a huge global pandemic. But, you know, what, either what people expect or what is popular that surprises you or changes in the industry?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, the COVID happening, the COVID, obviously COVID happening did cause huge shift in some ways. But in other ways, you know, from a PR perspective, at least, mm-hmm. you kind of spent two years rather than maybe looking at like a longer term strategy strategy, being very tactical and reactive because the goalposts kept changing so much in terms of what venues and brands could do or, you know, a lot of brands pre-COVID, you know, might have had 75% of their sales with the on-trade were suddenly... In an overnight period, having to switch and be completely D2C consumer focused. So from a PR perspective, that is suddenly like a really big shift in, shift in terms of, you know, who we're talking
2: to, what kind of stories we're pitching about about brands yeah. as well. I think this is the first year where we, like for the last three years, two years, well, 2020, but also I think last year to an extent, is I think this is the first year where we've been doing our annual calendars and we've not been doing them six months you know or even less and also having a plan a and a plan yeah like a little contingency we would always be like this is what we'll do (laughs) but obviously if we then go back into a lockdown like we would do this or like there was always like a kind of so I think this is like the first year where we've been doing full 12 months back to doing normal strategic plans with just a you know touch with no contingencies yeah so I think but that's industry-wise I think what's changed I think it was huge like more kind of pressure on the industry now in and well particularly from a UK perspective but i'd say you know in yeah. Europe globally as well there's there, there's so many they it was so heavily impacted as an industry like obviously during covid and then now with you know energy crisis and everything like all the other elements that are kind of now bit factoring into just the staffing shortages everything that's now factoring into kind of still making it a struggle for businesses to survive so i think things have Got harder from that perspective, and I think also actually another thing maybe is that there is more a focus on like neighbourhood bars and bars outside of the city centre. I think people used to own like the, the kind of main bars were always just like in central London, whereas now obviously even just outside of London, but you've got like bars now are featuring in awards, winning awards, or featuring in lists and whatnot that are kind of in outside of the outside of London and you know Manchester, Liverpool, Edinburgh, like more cities because you know. Yeah, there's more of a focus in kind of not just being in city, in the city centre, but also like just in London. And like we work with Funky Dory in Peckham, which is such an amazing neighbourhood bar and like, Atcher in Brixton. So I think there are kind of, there's there's kind of a more... Yeah, and Funky
1: Dory have just launched their second site in, in Camberwell, Camberwell, which is like another, yeah, na- yeah, another neighbourhood area. So do you think there's definitely, yeah, it's almost like people, I think, Perhaps in lockdown through things like, you know, cocktail deliveries, perhaps discovered some of the places that were on their doorsteps that they maybe might not have come across as much before. So I think coming out of that now, there's kind of that loyalty there for local venues as well. And I think obviously, like a time of crisis does also create creativity or put the pressure on for people to be creative and come up with solutions. So Kind of the bottled cocktail movement that happened during COVID as a reaction to people, you know, being able to make monies whilst venues were closed. You're now seeing some of those as well established brands in their own right. So, tired elementaries, RTDs, are now, you know,
2: yeah. I mean, subjects, yeah. Right. So they're, they're, you know, and they're just it's become its own kind of entity, huge entity of their business. But also, the Mirror Margarita, actors Mirror Margarita's just gone into Saint yeah. So, which is amazing. Like it's just a you know something that they they were doing before lockdown, but obviously through lockdown that became such a kind of key part of the business that so yeah. they could could retail. So, um, I don't know if
1: people making cocktails at home in lockdown has maybe made them appreciate <laughs> a well-made cocktail by a bartender as well. Definitely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Or like, even just people. I really appreciate the, yeah. yeah, that. I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, or even just people being a bit more like explorative when they go into cocktail bars, you know, I think that's probably mm. like a positive mind, sh- mindset yeah. shift that's come from. So,
2: and I do think I will say so, so much to <laughs> say on this subject. <laughs> like, well, now, <laughs> yeah. It- <laughs> um, but I do also think, and this is just something that's continuing, like continually changing but i mean it just the there's more opportunity to write and talk about drinks in media now so there used to be back in the day like i mean i remember when i first started doing drinks which was a very long time ago there was very limited opportunities where you would do the drinks like where you would be able to talk about drinks there'd be the drinks columns and then there would be which was you know normally wine and then they might do some drinks very very limited in broadcast opportunities we didn't obviously have podcasts and whatnot so but um now I think there're there so many more yeah. opportunities and there's so many journalists that are like lifestyle journalists that just have an interest in drinks and therefore, you know, sort of include include that. And including bars as well in roundups where they do city guides. It used to be restaurants and then maybe a bar, whereas now you'll get like the ten best bars in Paris or whatever it might be. So it's just that that kind of mindset's changed, I think, and and there's more opportunities to talk about it in the media, which is obviously good for us. <laughs> Uh,
0: no, of course. And good for me. And, you know, it's really exciting to have, you know, so much about drinks being written and places to go. Now, saying that as opposed to bars and brands, could you have imagined that you would be kind of representing, no, that not kind of, you are representing actual people who make drinks, uh, you know, the bartenders, the brand ambassadors, those, those, yeah, you know, kind of celebrities behind the bar now
1: yeah yeah the star tenders <laughs> the star tenders right <laughs> no I think within the restaurant world you've always had kind of those the, the, sh- the high profile chefs that mm. perhaps lead a movement or have a particular style that becomes very famous or you know they're super well known and I think there's obviously that equivalent in the drinks and bar world it's just that the opportunity for them to perhaps be profiled and showcased within the media to consumers has been more limited. So I think as that's changed and there there has become this, you know, there's an increased interest in drinks and cocktails with that, you know, the growing space for people to be showcased and profiled and talk about what they're doing. So I think that's enabled kind of people who are at the forefront of bartending Drinks, kind of setting those trends so that they can kind of be positioned as such.
0: And, you know, these people have always been working so hard anyway. It's nice that it, they get a little bit of, you yeah know, it limelight. Is.
1: Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: It's good. And I think also just making sure that they're being represented well and fairly as well. So it's also if they're being used for something, making sure that they're, they're being paid fairly or getting their sort of being talked about in the correct way. And yeah. yeah. So I think it's uh-huh. it's
0: big piece. Now let's talk about the last kind of branch on your your the PR tree is things like uh, the 50 best bars and yep. the 1887 collective and things like that. Um, how how is that coming into you know at least with the 50 best bars already a huge machine, you know, with PRs yeah. kind of around the world.
1: So we you know, like obviously the internal team that uh, they have the 50 best bars but then they've also got kind of the, the so cycle like machine program yeah. of you know
2: events and that they put on throughout the year it's it's kind of amazing yeah like really. the regional events and restaurants now they're bringing in hotels it's um yeah it's impressive so yeah it makes me feel tired <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, fifty. Best. So it's funny because we um have known the team for so long and i remember when we were really small and um Sort of joking around that if we would ever do 50 best and we were like, we need to be much bigger for that. And then one day, yeah, they came to us and asked us to kind of do a proposal. And we did and yeah, start working with them. Yeah. So we're the lead agents, like the sort of global agency. So they've got Hanalee Communications. They run um, all of America, North America, then Ivy, uh, the sort of food news agent. They run all across Asia. And then we do Europe, Africa, South America and Australia. So. Yeah. Best of the world, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's one of those things where it's just, it's a really, it is a really big task and there is no quick way of doing it well. So, you know, once we've kind of seen the list and we kind of go through it and we work out what the angles are and we've always said, I think the best way to get the most out of it is to have a local approach and celebrate local heroes. So obviously the press in Australia aren't going to care that a bar in Barcelona or London has done well for example well I mean you know they'll write about it because it's list. but they'll be more interested to know that I don't know bar in Melbourne has you know list for the first time in five years whatever it might be so I think we always just we have very targeted pitches that we do for each region so we kind of look at the results and then we kind of work out what the wider feature angles are that would be of interest to kind of wider media and obviously we have the kind of the main results and then we then look at what are the local stories for each region and then we have regional kind of pitches and, and sell-ins and then that all happens on the night and yeah. the team will sit there on the top selling into the whole world so <laughs> it's quite um from a PR
1: perspective it's a really like satisfying one to work on because it's not like anything else you do the PR for when you're doing a PR for a brand, obviously with like magazine lead times, you know, you can be talking to people, especially if it's for like Christmas coverage, it can be like up to five, six months in advance before you actually see that coverage come through. Whereas, yeah, working on something like 50 Best, obviously once the announcement's made, we start selling into media and kind of seeing that influx of results mm. because it is such an immediate news right. story. It makes it like quite a different Mm. thing to work on as well and I think yeah it's quite satisfying like when all the work that's gone into it in the lead up and then seeing the results come through
0: yeah it's not I guess it's not compared to other stories it's not the hardest story to pitch because everyone's gonna take that story and run with it
2: yeah it's um it's what everyone's going to be interested by to get them well I mean there's a mix it's like obviously there'll be people that will just cover the news of the list and then there's kind of looking at where you get those bigger pieces from or news stories and then kind of pitching from there. But it is, yeah, it's satisfying. It's one of those ones where it's like a real labour of love. Like the team who work yeah. on it. And it's like as you gear up to knowing it's coming, like then we like work out the nights we're gonna work late and like kind of you know do our preps and sell-ins and stuff. And but yeah it's a real labor of love. But it feels kind of really satisfying when we, yeah. when we get the results. So yeah, ready. Now
0: you don't have to pick one, but if there were if there is one aspect of what you do that you really, really love, uh, what would that be? I know what mine is. I, do you know what uh-huh. <laughs> do you know what mine is? Like, <laughs> They're different. All right. Since so, we started but, with Alex Irvine, we'll start with Alex
1: Chatwin this time. I think for me, I and I still really enjoy doing this. It's identifying trends that you see happening across the industry. And kind of pulling that together and crafting it as a pitch that you then pitch to journalists for feature angles or feature story ideas. I think that's also kind of the joy of specialising and what we specialise in. We're out and about in the industry a lot, and you you know you you can see things kind of happening, whether that's you know an interesting ingredient that's suddenly cropping up on menus that you might not have seen so much before, or a particular style of cocktail, you know, having a bit of a resurgence. It's kind of spotting those things happening, of being able to be like, oh, okay, I think this is like a bit of a thing that could be going on. And yeah, pulling that t- crafting kind of a pitch of a story around that um, is something I still really enjoy.
2: Yeah, <laughs> uh-huh. Alex gets really upset when she gets bogged down doing admin stuff and she doesn't get to home to do any like yeah, uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> I and know, as, we, we were at our old agency. Like we used to laugh because Alex was always like, "Yeah, was a real stickler for trends." If I she mean, said, "Oh, I think that's going to be a trend," and then it was, it's was like you're literally like a trend. You should work for a trend book. I yeah, I still so, love like pitching stories,
1: speaking to media. Like yeah, I think I'll never not love that part mm. of it. So yeah.
0: Well, uh, of course, the next question is going to be when we into. Just one second Alex Irving, is you know what you see as a trend if you yep. want to give that
1: away I <laughs> <Okay. up. laughs> kind of set myself up for that one, didn't I <laughs> uh, Just hmm. one pick one trend one I mean we've seen and we we've actually, we had a feature recently on some of our bars that are obviously places like himcock um which is Scandinavian, they kind of use it on their menus but there's definitely, you know, places in London where we're seeing it on the menus as well. And it's just interesting that, you know, it's kind of a, a form of citrus that can be used. So
2: mm-hmm. um, I think that's something that's kind of been been explored. I think as well, I think another trend is what we were saying about bars not in the major cities. Yeah. Like being more, performing more, like, or, or kind of being nominated for, for awards or just being kind of more present on that industry circuit and um, having that higher quality of, international cocktail bar, but not just in the major capital cities. So in Italy, there is some amazing bars outside of the key cities that you would expect. So in Florence and in in Naples, etc. And then likewise, you know, as we say, like Schofields in Manchester and present right. <laughs> and it's happening across the world, I would say you've got you're getting kind of high profile bars that are cropping up, not just in those major traditional major hubs, which I think is is quite interesting, which I don't know if that's a result of COVID or if it's just where people are just kind of moving out of the big just from a cost perspective, but, and people are moving out of the big cities. But I think that's, that's something that's quite
0: interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I'm, uh, originally from Philadelphia and I'm going back soon just to, to visit. And three people sent me an article that was in the New York Times about a new bar in Philadelphia.
1: Amazing. And Philadelphia
0: used to be yeah. like the, Down at heels cousin to New York. And now, uh, you know, for the past 20 years, it's just been a food haven. So, you know, I was like, oh, okay, I'll have to try that bar in Philadelphia. Yeah. Now, Alex Irving, Mm. how about you? What
2: is kind of your your favorite bit of what you do? One of the things I like really enjoy is I really enjoy kind of doing the strategy planning of things. So, kind of looking at like, what is their end goal? Like, what does the client want? Like, what's the end goal? And then working backwards and then like how are we going to get there what are we going to do and kind of looking at a how to do that creatively so you're not just I I get really frustrated where it's just sometimes things can feel formulaic or people are like oh well that's worked so let's just do the same as them and I'm like no like what's going to tell the story of your venue or your brand and kind of look at how to do that creatively and a bit differently so and and trying to kind of challenge ourselves to think differently to achieve that so I think I've got quite a, a sort of like logical brain. I don't, I doubt it. I haven't got a logical <laughs> brain as so well. That's like better than i in terms of like when like it's just in terms of thinking and planning, I'm quite meticulous and how I like to do. So I, I, I really enjoy that side of things. But then we'll say I do really enjoy the like intermedia and putting people together yeah. and making things happen. But I think in terms of how we tend to work, Al does tend to do more. You, you have that kind of more looking at what's going to make a feature. And then I look at more kind of what we're doing so to speak <laughs> you know like with yeah we're kind of covering it both off <laughs> it's the perfect combination
0: you try. <laughs> <laughs> so i usually end with my top tips for the home bartender that's when i interview someone from a brand or a brand ambassador or bartender or something like that
2: you're good at making oh. drinks <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wait, you're, i'm sure you're very good at making drinks <laughs> But I thought might what might be more helpful for people if they're listening and they want to start a brand and they want to st- or have a bar uh, or start thinking of starting a bar, kind of what would be your top tip for someone who's about to enter into that industry and is maybe thinking if they want to get PR?
2: I think the first thing is going back to the idea of what is your brand. Like, are you a neighborhood bar? If you're a neighborhood bar, what kind of vibe is it? Are you... Fun and eclectic, or are you simple and kind of it, it just thinking about what the what you are ultimately? Because that will affect every touch point in terms of what your how you communicate, like your tone of voice and social media, your image style, your marketing elements, anything like in the napkins, etc., whatever it might be. It's kind of the glassware. Everything will kind of, I would say, come back yeah. to telling the story of what you're. Brand ultimately is, or who you are, and I always think when I say what a brand is, I always say to clients, like think about your personality, like if your bar was a person, like who would they be, and kind of look at it that way, and then that kind of helps to shape what that is. And as we said, also have the idea of who's your target audience, who are you appealing to? Are you in the city? Like, do you want to reach the the city crowd that are going into the office every day, or the Shoreditch crowd that coming down, or? The tourists, or yeah. is it neighbor like neighborhood kind of vibes. So thinking about who who you're reaching and who your your audience is,
1: yeah. um, and I think
2: you know making sure that
1: like from a bar perspective, you know there is a need from a consumer for you to be there because you could have the most yeah. amazing concept, but if it's in the wrong place with the wrong type of footfall. Mm-hmm it's no. not gonna be as successful. So I think it's it's all well and good obviously having an amazing idea of something you want to do, but you need to make sure that you're providing something that consumers are gonna want mm-hmm. as well for it to sort of be commercially
2: a success. Yeah. Um also. And then when it comes to the actual PR, like I think that's the thing is it's it is it's an it's an additional expense to a very expensive time. So if it is something that you can't necessarily afford right at the outset. Um social media does go a long way and local marketing goes a long way. It's so things you can do yourself at your bar if you're if PR's gonna be um out, outside of your budget. I would say if you've got money, invest it in imagery. I think imagery yeah. is the most important thing. Even with PR as well, like it'd be you'd be amazed the amount of times we've tried to launch something and people haven't literally haven't given us images. <laughs> but we're like, we can't get the coverage without the pictures. So. <laughs> oh. Um, so having some really strong imagery and, you know, there's ways of doing that on um, either looking for kind of student photographers that might be wanting to up their portfolio. There might be ways of doing it after reduced cost and not having to use a super expensive drinks photographer, if that's wildly out of budget. But either kind of working with a photographer to get it or leveraging like one of your brands that you might be working with, because obviously they will probably be able to, they might be able to provide support in terms of getting some imagery of the drinks and the bar. Whatever it might be, get strong imagery because you can use that for social media. And also, if any media do cut in contact with you, they will want a picture and it needs to be good. Yeah. yeah. Spend time on engagement on social media, like engaging with other local businesses. If people are posting and they're in the bar, we always say it's useful, like when you first launch, to do some form of a local business offer, whatever it might be. Just need to create, and it's not something that should run for a long time, like maybe yeah. a week that's like, 50% off or whatever you can afford but like have something where it's an it, it's a limited time to encourage people to come through the door in that week so once they've been in then you're top of mind and you'll probably if they've had a good time they'll come back and that's also a case of you know going knocking on some doors or going into some shops give them some postcards and say we've just opened we'd really love to come down it's 50% off whatever it might be so there's things to do that will kind of like engage and ingratiate you with your local audience if you've got restaurants nearby or hotels nearby making sure you're The managers or the concierge know about you as well so there's there's things that can be done from a local marketing and social media perspective to help get the word out and if you have got some budget or able to do something with an agency that's where you then use them to generate all those listings press and also your agency should also work with you to look at what you're doing as Al says that's on trend um, or that's a unique kind of USPs that we could then pull into wider trend features. And then that's where you get these glossy pieces as well. In a, in a nutshell. <laughs> I mean, I have <laughs> nothing to <around>. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's
1: great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My I like to see the planning. See, there we
0: go. <laughs> it was so obvious. No, I know. It was an ad see Buckhorn. Yeah, and- to your cocktails, right? <laughs> that is the tip. Now, last but not least, I always ask, if you could be anywhere drinking anything right now, where would that be and what would it be? Um, it, Alex C., Alex Chatwin?
1: Always. same anything. Yeah, hard to answer. Um, I would nice. say, though, we were quite lucky at the start of this year. We went out to visit our rum client, Takamaka, in the Seychelles. And there was a very, nice. very... Gorgeous beach bar that did amazing rum cocktails. So oh, if so I nice. could be transported back there right now,
2: that would be marvelous. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was really good. Peanut platters on the beach. Just clinging clinging onto the holiday vibes. Yeah. <laughs> well, we were very lucky actually, because we it wasn't even a bar. We had Jake Berger was with us. And so he would be making us the afternoon drinks when we needed them. <laughs> They're like, Jake, oh, makes the darkery It's a
0: but how was he with rum? Instead he was good. Of he was good. I mean, he
2: did. He did make us some martinis as well. However, I we would say martinis so hot there. Yeah, like you had to drink them quite quickly. Very quickly. Like they warmed up so much, which I don't think is the right way to approach it. Is just drink it quickly. But um, so yeah, it wasn't. Well, probably, were not the best solution. No. Which is why rum cocktails are the what you should drink on an island. Um, but yeah, no, yeah. that, with that lots was of ice. amazing. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You can have your own one, Alex. I would say I mean, I do have everyone last I do have such a love affair with Paris and I mean I love all the bars, the got bars in Paris. So just great. But I do there is a wine bar there that's just my favorite, probably my favorite place
1: ever. in the world. I just love it
2: so much. <laughs> um but yeah, it's a really lovely tiny little wine bar which I love going to, so I would say maybe maybe there, just sitting there with some cheese and saucy sun. We got some wine. <laughs> But also, actually, we are very fortunate. We're going to Melbourne soon. And Melbourne answered me. So I'm very excited to finally go and have a drink in Caretaker's Cottage, which Rob Lee begins and um, set up. So yeah, we're going to be going there soon. Exciting,
0: exciting. Well, we'll hear from you when you get back.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) definitely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there as well. (laughs) Well, this
0: has been such a delight. Thank you so much for being on the show and for, you know, helping anyone out there who uh, might want to have a bar. There's some really, really great tips in there. And uh, it was great to hear your journey, finally, after all these years that I've known you.
2: Thanks for having
1: us. Yeah, thank you. We'll
0: see you at the bar. We'll see you at the bar, For for sure. sure. (laughs) I want to thank Alex and Alex for being on the program. It was such a delight to finally learn their backstory. And of course, since we have two guests, we have to have two Cocktails of the Week. I asked them to name two of their favorite cocktails, and they both picked classics. Alex Irving picked the Gin Martini with a twist for her Cocktail of the Week, and Alex Chatwin picked the French 75. For the gin martini with a twist, add two and a half ounces of gin and a half an ounce of dry vermouth, or as much as you like, or as little as you like, to a mixing glass. Add ice and then stir, stir, stir. Then strain it into a martini glass and pop in a twist of lemon. For your French 75, add one ounce of cognac or gin a half an ounce of lemon juice, and a half an ounce of simple syrup to a shaker. Add ice and then shake, shake, shake. Strain it into a flute glass and top with three ounces of champagne, then garnish with a lemon peel. You'll find this recipe, more classic cocktail recipes and all the cocktails of the week at alushlifemanual.com, where you'll also find some of the ingredients in our shop. Next week, I'll be in Barcelona for the Paradiso Sustainability Summit. I'm not only so excited to participate in the masterclasses, but also to finally try the cocktails at the world's best bar 2022. If you want more info on the summit, head to alushlifemanual.com paradiso-barcelona-sustainability-summit-2023. If you live for lush life, then make sure you head out to the bars and restaurants you love. Theme music for Lush Life is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. And Lush Life is always and will be forever produced by Evo Terra and Simpler Media Productions. Which leaves me to say the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation, and always drink responsibly. On the next show, we'll be chatting with a fifth-generation Louisianian. Who took the reins of her family's rum distillery during lockdown and has never looked back? Until that time, bottoms up!